0: Earlier this year, Dr. Anthony Fauci, the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, and the chief medical advisor to President Joe Biden, announced his plans to step down in December. He's been a physician scientist at NIAID for 54 years, and the director of the institute for 38 years, a career that has spanned the first cases of AIDS, multiple Ebola outbreaks, severe acute respiratory syndrome, and the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Dr. Fauci, who's written a perspective article about the history of emerging and re-emerging infectious diseases during his career. Dr. Fauci, as you write in your perspective article, in the 1970s, early in your career, there was a common viewpoint that infectious diseases as a subspecialty was fading into oblivion. So what drew you to infectious diseases, and what was the state of the field when you entered it?
1: Well, what drew me into the field of infectious diseases was certain characteristics of infections and their relationship to the immune system. So I had a dual interest, both in infections as such, the characteristics of infection, which I always was fascinated with in medical school and during my multiple years of post-medical school residency training, of the acute nature of it, the ability to prevent it to treat it, as well as the fact of what the global impacts of it could be, not only infection and its impact on the individual patient, but also the fact that infections historically have had such an important impact on society. Now, what happened is that, as we all know, we've had some great successes with vaccinations that were beginning to be Discovered and implemented during those early years prior to my getting into medical school and then during medical school, and the evolution of better and better antibiotics. So, a lot of diseases that were devastating and not well controlled were being really quite modified in their impact on the individual patient and on society by the interventions that we had. But still, the fascination and the excitement and the acute nature of it, the life and death nature of it, the fact that you could intervene very acutely with someone and take them back from the edge of disaster by treating them and diagnosing them in an appropriate expeditious manner. I like that kind of interaction, but I also like the fact that if you look evolutionarily of the relationship between the evolution of the human immune system and infectious diseases, and that interaction between host defenses and onslaught of microbes, that all really quite very much fascinated me in medical school and in my internship and residency training. And that was really the motivational force which had me take a fellowship post-medical residency in a combination of infectious diseases and clinical immunology which the national institute of allergy and infectious diseases actually offered that dual fellowship so that i ultimately got boarded not only in internal medicine but in infectious diseases and clinical
0: immunology and allergy you became an important player in the u.s response to the aids epidemic both in the united states in part in an unusual collaboration with aids patients and activists and then later globally through your role in developing PEPFAR, the President's Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief. So what did you and the country and the world learn from those efforts that have affected our approach to later epidemics?
1: Well, there were a lot of very, very important lessons that we learned. I think the first of our generation was that transforming highly impactful emerging infectious diseases do occur. We used to read about it. The historic and iconic 1918 pandemic influenza, the plagues that we learned about in history. But as a society, we never really experienced the emergence of a brand new infection. That was unheard of, kind of hypothetical. No one really felt that at our stage of advancement in technology or what have you that we would see that, literally a brand new infection. And what HIV taught us as the first lesson is that emerging infectious diseases have historically occurred. We knew that, but we were not past that because it was happening right before our very eyes. And that's what happened with HIV AIDS. One of the other important lessons was how you had to adapt to the circumstances associated with a disease. And it was very clear that the well-worn and useful approaches towards the design and the implementation of clinical trials, the rigid and appropriate restrictions along the regulatory route of getting drugs approved, that model did not fit very well for this brand new disease of AIDS. And it didn't fit very well at all, because people were getting infected, were not aware. And by the time they were aware, before we had a readily available diagnostic test, they were in advanced stage of disease. They needed intervention, and they needed an accessibility into clinical trials that essentially shook the cages of the restrictions of clinical trial design, as well as the regulatory approaches, which served us well up to that point, but in fact, in this case, was not very well suited. And that led to the interaction with the community because the people at risk for and already afflicted with HIV wanted a say in the design of the scientific agenda, particularly the clinical trials, as well as a say in the accessibility and availability of interventions prior to the time that they were officially approved by what usually was a seven or more year process, which was very ill suited. So the activists wanted to gain our attention. They did it. And I was a target of that only because I was very visible and was recognized as someone who not only was a scientist, but was also a member and an official in the federal government. So there was a very aggressive attempt to gain attention that was theatrical, it was iconoclastic, it was provocative. But one of the things that I feel very good about what I have done, and if I go back and look at the good decisions I've made in my professional career, one of them was to just drop back and say, despite this provocative and attacking approach of the activists, I started to listen to what they were saying. And what they were saying was making absolute perfect sense, that we needed to relook at both the design of clinical trials, the regulatory approach, and importantly, getting the community involved with their input that they are best suited to give to us And how we can work with the community, particularly those afflicted and those at risk, to have clinical trials in a regulatory approach that was suitable and appropriate for what we were dealing with, that really transformed in a very positive way the interaction between the scientific and regulatory community and the advocacy groups that were actually involved directly or indirectly with the disease. That was really historic that interaction that we have with the community and continue to this day to have with the community.
0: You say in your article that COVID-19 has highlighted the world's overall lack of public health preparedness for an outbreak of this magnitude. So despite all the knowledge gained and the breakthroughs we've made during the past 50 years, why do you think the world was so unprepared for this outbreak?
1: I tend to put it into two separate buckets to try and unpack a bit of the complication of that. If you look at scientific preparedness and public health preparedness, which is a very complicated link of local and federal and global surveillance, communication, interaction, you put that in the public health bucket and you look at the scientific bucket, the preparedness for COVID-19 goes back to decades of investment in basic and clinical research which has led to the platform technology for vaccines, the model of targeted development of drugs, the structure-based immunogen design, all things that were the result of investment in a lot of bright people throughout the country and the world to get to the point where the response to COVID from a scientific standpoint was unprecedented in its success where we were able to get a vaccine that from the time the sequence of the virus was recognized in January of 2020, to have a multi-thousands clinical trials implemented to have the vaccine proven to be safe and effective to the point of 94 to 95 percent, and to have that vaccine in enough supplies to start going into people's arms within 11 months of the recognition of the virus it's just unprecedented success of extraordinary magnitude. Now, when you look at the public health, although a lot of things were done well, the public health, particularly at the local level, was not well suited. It was somewhat antiquated, the communication, the transparency, or what have you. And then- We found ourselves in a very difficult position of having to respond to the outbreak in the middle of a very divisive time in our country, where spillover of things like misinformation, disinformation, conspiracy theories spilled over into impeding what should have been a unified countrywide response where we were all pulling together caring for each other, taking care of each other, and putting aside any ideological differences, political differences, to try and get the best possible response to this outbreak, which has already killed a million Americans. There was a lot of impediment of that by the kinds of divisiveness and hostility among different segments of our population, which was absolutely not optimal for a good response.
0: HIV-AIDS had a defining effect on your career as a young physician scientist, how do you think COVID-19 is going to influence the next generation of doctors and investigators who are going to follow in your footsteps?
1: First of all, and I'm glad I have the opportunity to say this, there has been emerging for a while but reaching a really high level. During the past few years, of several things that are unhealthy for the enterprise of young people getting involved in medicine and science and public health. And that has been misinformation, disinformation, an anti science attitude among many that spills over into an anti vax frame of mind, even though the data of the life saving nature of vaccines is incontrovertible. So that could, and understandably, cause people to be reluctant to get involved in a field where many of us, many of my colleagues in public health, have our lives threatened and our families harassed by people who push back against a scientific approach. That's all obviously terrible. However, I encourage people that the positive aspect... Of getting involved in science, medicine, and public health well overrides the negative aspects. And now it's no time for people to shy away from a career in medicine, particularly a career in infectious diseases, which is such a dynamic subspecialty in medicine. But hopefully the country and the world will appreciate better the importance of having young, bright, energetic people getting involved in the field of medicine, science, public health, and public service in the arena of public health. So that's one of the things that I certainly want to continue to do after I step down from government service, is to continue to be out there lecturing and writing and getting people inspired and energetic in getting involved in a field that can have such an important positive impact on the health of our own country, but also of the rest of the world.
0: Finally, you write in your article that today there's no reason to believe that the threat of emerging infections will diminish, since their underlying causes are most likely going to be increasing. So how do you see infectious diseases affecting public health in the future? And what will be the role of physician scientists like yourself in responding to these new disease threats
1: well i think infectious diseases are going to be a continuing threat not only the common infectious diseases that you see in the hospital setting with complications of procedures and things like that but also the threat of emerging and re-emerging infectious diseases particularly as the circumstances that lead to that the extraordinary amount of travel that can take what would be a confined incident or two of an infection in one part of the world in 18 hours, you're halfway around the world. The encroachment upon the animal-human interface that we see, 75% of all of the new infections that we've experienced have been zoonotic, jumping species. And we have ample examples, HIV with chimpanzees, influenzas with wild fowl, chickens and pigs, SARS CoV 1, MARES, SARS CoV 2, climate change, which impacts the balance between some of the animal world, insect world, or what have you, and humans, also has an impact. So, as we move forward in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years, the challenge and the risk of emerging infections, if anything, is going to get worse. And that means that the subspecialty of infectious diseases, and public health and global health will continue to be of greater importance. Thank you, Dr. Fauci.